0: This is a new sermon series, it's titled Fear Less. Not one word, fearless, but two words, Fear Less. And I, as I was working on it this week, I, began, I remembered a, a time when, when I encountered something that was just over, almost overwhelming. I was driving to school, I was working on my doctorate in Southern California. I was working at a church in San Diego, and I would drive, make the two-hour drive up to Claremont, up Interstate 15, every Friday, and there I would be in class all day on Friday. And it wasn't really a bad drive because most of the time I was driving against traffic. Traffic was coming into San Diego on Interstate 15 as I was heading out early, early on Friday, Friday morning to get up to class on time at Claremont up in Los Angeles County. On this particular day, though, I think it was in, in February, There was a a huge downpour, just a ton of rain falling, and the the roads were a little bit uh, scary, a little bit freaky. I know Southern Californians, all it takes is a little bit of drizzle, and they, they freak out in the traffic. But I was in the fast lane. I was doing the speed limit. Honestly, I was. When my car began to hydroplane. And it went, it went a little bit to the right like this. I panicked, I overcorrected, and it spun back to the left like this. I was in the fast lane, and it went into the median. Now, the median didn't have a guardrail or anything. In fact, it was about a 35 foot uh, little swale of grass and mud and dirt. I hit that median pretty hard, and I could remember seeing a wave of grass and mud flying up over the top of my car as I continued to slide through that median, and I kept on sliding right on into the southbound lane. I was headed north the southbound lane to traffic. Now I'm turned sideways like this and I'm looking out my left shoulder through my driver's side window at a car that's coming straight at me in that fast lane. I said, golly, <laughs> or something like that anyway. <laughs> something like that. And, and then somehow, I, I don't know what happened, the car just kept on spinning and ended up back in, the, in the, that median facing south, covered in mud and dirt. I said to my, I literally said to myself out loud, wow, that's some serious good driving. <laughs> I really did. And then I said, oh, I really didn't say anything. I began to shake uncontrollably. I couldn't believe what had just happened. I got out, looked at the car. It was pretty banged up. All four tires were still good. I kind of limped it back. I, just, I decided this is a good excuse for skipping class. I limped it back to San Diego, got into my house, went in. And do you remember when we used to have phones on your, on your desk? Remember those things I picked up one of those old phones and called my wife at work she immediately came home we went and picked up our son Nate who was just two years old at the time at preschool brought him home we lit a fire in the fireplace and we sat down I told her the story and we laughed and then we cried isn't it amazing what a what a what a brush with death can do how it can provide clarity to what really matters in life I mean, up to that moment, I would have said, oh, my life is pretty stressful. I've got a two-year-old. I'm, I've got a full-time job at this church in youth ministry, and I'm working on a doctorate. i got papers doing all this stuff. All of that was meaningless. In that moment, with my wife and my little boy, there was nothing else I wanted more than to be with them, to hold their hands, to sit close to them. Facing, facing death... And you know this, facing death brings a certain clarity, whether it's someone you love or yourself, whether it's a terrible disease that you've been told that you are facing or someone you care for deeply is not going to be long in this world. There's a certain, certain clearness of life that comes along. Paul knows when he writes this letter to a young pastor named Timothy that his life is coming to an end he knows he doesn't have many days left. Now, by the way, there's a lot of theological argument about is this the real Paul, the actual Apostle Paul, or is this one of his disciples writing many, many years later? The arguments are, some people say, oh, this is the Paul and he wrote this around 60 AD. Others say, no, it's it's a second or third generation disciple of his who's writing more like 130 AD, and there's a lot of articles about all that in between. We're just gonna call him Paul this morning. Because after all, he is an older, more experienced pastor writing to a young, frankly, anxious and overwhelmed pastor who's not quite sure what to do with his, con- with his congregation. He, writes, he wants to write to this one and help him deal with the tough issues that are there. And here in his opening remarks to young Timothy in his second letter, he says to him that if, if you're overwhelmed with fear, if anxiety is controlling everything you're doing, it's gonna be very difficult for you To allow the gifts that you've been given from the very God we worship to function in your ministry. He's being told quite simply leave fear behind. See, the problem is too often in our our world and our society, we allow fear to control the way we see others and the world. We allow that fear or that anxiety to take hold of us. Now, maybe you've seen this. There's been a lot, of, a lot of research lately on the way social media seems to be driving up fear and anxiety. You know, on Facebook or, or Twitter or on, or on, on um, Instagram. What happens is, here's the way it happens. I might look on Jim Long's Facebook page and see that he and some friends went out for a marvelous dinner and had a wonderful evening and he recounts how great it was, the meal was wonderful and here's some photos and and I'm sitting at home eating my leftover macaroni and cheese and I'm thinking, Jim has this wonderful life. Why don't I have this wonderful life? What's wrong with me? Do you see how that works? That's a simplified way of talking about it, but that's kind of what's at work in our world right now. It's sometimes called FOMO, fear of missing out. Others are getting these wonderful things going on in their lives while my life is being brought down. The fact of the matter, this didn't come along with, with social media. It's been there since the Apostle Paul's day. This, this, this desire to, to think that somehow, this, this concern that somehow we aren't good enough on our own. That the gifts and graces that I have aren't quite enough. And I, even, and I can't really rely on them because you might look down on me as not quite being as good as you think I ought to be also. And it's just a never-ending cycle that heightens the anxiety, that gives life to the fear as it were. Well, the the germination for this sermon series began uh, while we were on our trip to the Holy Land back in November. There were 41 of us from First Community Church who traveled to Israel and Palestine to visit the sacred sites there. One of the members of our church who was on that trip is named Steve Mushrush. One day I looked up and I noticed Steve was wearing a hat and he had the words on it, fear on the top and then less. I said, does that mean what I think it means? He said, yeah, it means fear less, not fearless, but fear less. It's kind of a hat that I'm using to, to remind myself of how to live in, in life. I said, Steve, I like that hat. And I think that's going to be the inspiration for a sermon series. And he said, as long as you give me credit. <laughs> so there you go. Steve, Steve is the one who, who inspired this. Fear less. It's not a bad way to live through life. Later that week in the Holy Land, we gathered at the traditional site of Jesus' burial we went into a tomb that if, if it wasn't the actual one where Jesus was buried, it was very similar to the one that Jesus would have been buried in. After touring that a little bit and, and experiencing that moment, we went to a small chapel that was nearby that tomb where we, get, where we gathered for a communion service. The little talk I gave was on fear and how fear can control us. And I began by telling them a story about when I was a little boy, I was five years old, and my dad had decided to take My mom and my little sister Jerry and me on a trip to Arizona for a church conference. If you're a preacher's kid, you don't go on vacations, you just go to church conferences. For some reason, he decided to drive at night. We were living in LA, and he decided to drive all all through the night. And and we got close to Phoenix, but couldn't quite get there before my dad uh, was feeling real sleepy. And we pulled the car over into a rest area and fell asleep. I was already fast asleep in the back of the car. And then I woke in the middle of the night, and I looked out the window, and there was this man. His arms up like this, leaning in, looking into the car. You know, I think his arms were up to, to block the light so he could see better in the car. And I, I, was just, I was just five years old. I was frozen in fear. I began to shake and, and, and get nervous and afraid. I didn't know if I should cry or scream or call out or get down on the floorboards of the car. I just I didn't know what to do, so I pulled I pull up my blanket or my coat or something and covered my eyes and fell asleep with terrible nightmares Early the next morning, early that morning, later that morning, before everyone else woke up, the sun came up and I looked around and I looked out the window, and it was a cactus. Yeah. <laughs> a sawaric, it was a Saora cactus leaning like this towards our car with his, I'm sure it was a male, with his arms up, up in the air, looking in. Do you see what happened with the fear? In the darkness, in my fear. I thought it was something dangerous, when in reality, it was just one of those beautiful sorora cactus that are protected now in Arizona. There's a a text in John, John 3, where Jesus says, the light of God has come into the world, but some prefer the darkness. Sometimes we get attached to our fear. We get attached to our anxiety. We allow that that, that darkness to cover the, the, the way the world really is because we're not quite sure what else to do. The light has come and some prefer the darkness. Paul thanks God for Timothy, for the gifts that he's been given, and then he names it directly. We've not been given a spirit of fear a spirit of darkness. No, we've been given a spirit of power and love and self-control, marvelous gifts that we can use to serve each other and to, to serve the world. And then he notes that, he says to him, Timothy, you're, you received faith from your grandmother and from your mother. By the way, when you hear those words, don't just let those float out there. That's a radical thing to say 2,000 years ago. For a man to acknowledge faith given by a woman, by his mother and his grandfather, that was an extremely radical thing, a beautiful thing, and still true today, maybe even just as radical today, to name that out loud. You've been given this faith by your, by your mother, your grandmother. You've been given this, these marvelous gifts by God. Isaiah wrote, Leanne read this earlier. Isaiah wrote 500 years before Paul and Timothy Do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. To be redeemed is to be renewed, to be re empowered, to be forgiven, strengthened. Lifted up from a failure, sent back out into the world to serve again. Do you hear the beauty in these texts? When fear controls us, it's almost impossible to embrace the gifts we have and to be happy with who we already are. You see, accepting ourselves, though, sometimes is the most difficult thing we do. Recognizing that, that who you are right now in this moment is, is more than enough is sometimes the the most difficult acknowledgement any of us can make. It seems like there's always somebody else who has better clothes or a better house or more education or better hair. For me, it's everyone has better hair. And we fail to move forward in the faith that God wants us to live. Brene Brown says that accepting ourselves and what we do have is an act of vulnerability and courage. Listen to her words. This is from Brene Brown vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage truth and courage aren't always comfortable but they're never weakness being vulnerable takes courage it takes the ability to step back and assess who we really are I, I read about this this in her book uh, um, Rising Strong and she, she tells a story in there about a, a little tool she uses to help her with, in relationships with people she loves and cares about she calls it, it's it's five it's a five-word tool, the story I'm making up. The story I'm making up. She illustrates it by telling a story about a time her family went on a vacation in the North Hill country of Texas. They camped on a lake. After being there a couple of days, she and her husband, kids were being taken care of, she and her husband took a nice, long, leisurely swim out into the lake. Now, Brene decided to, to kind of take a risk and be somewhat vulnerable, and she said to her husband as they're swimming, this feels so good just to be out here alone with you. Now, he, he tends to be a romantic kind of guy, and she's expecting him to say something romantic back to her, and all he says is, nice swim. She's, she's hurt, she's a little bit angry at first, but then she, sw- they continue to swim on, and then she says, she decides to risk again and say something again like that. She said, boy, it's the water flowing over us and being right here with you. This is so lovely. He keeps swimming and says, nice water. And then he even actually swims away from her. Now she says in her book, I'm feeling hurt and humiliated and angry, what's wrong with me? Does he think I I no longer can swim like I used to? Is he embarrassed that I'm not a great athlete like I might've been way back when? Does he not think I look as good in my swimsuit as I did 25 years ago? Is he no longer attracted, you hear all the voices going on? She's shaming herself. That's the story she's making up. And so when they get to the lake finally, she gets up on the dock, to the edge of the lake at the dock. She gets up and she says to him, oh, we've got to talk. We've got to be able to, to name what's going on here. She said, the story I'm making up is that somehow I'm not fit enough for you. Somehow I'm not attractive enough for you. I, I just need to say that out loud. I, I don't want to argue or fight, but please hear me, what I, hear what I'm saying. And he said, I, I didn't even hear you while we were in the water. Last night, I had a terrible nightmare that we were on the lake on a raft with our kids and a speedboat was coming at us and I couldn't do anything to protect the family. As we were out on the lake just now, I was having a panic attack. It was everything I could do to swim safely, to get back to the dock, to get here with you and and the kids. Do you, do you see? She said... She was telling herself a shame story that she was not good enough for her husband. He was telling himself a shame story that he was not strong enough to care for his family. And the beauty of it is this. It wasn't about one of them winning an argument, proving the other one was wrong, but having enough vulnerability to be honest and open with each other about the voices that were going on inside inside their brains. She realized, as he told his story, that his story could be based in fact. People do drink too much on the lake. People do speed too much in their boats. People don't always drive carefully. Rather than being stuck in a shame story, they found the ability to rise above the fear, to literally turn the light on so that it could shine in the darkness. Paul tells Timothy, you've been given a spirit not of shame, not of anxiety, not of fear, The power of love, the power of moving forward in faith. Just before that, he said, Therefore, I tell you to stir up the gift of God which is upon you through the laying on of my hands. I know that kind of sounds strange and mysterious, but it's a beautiful way of him, of Paul reminding Timothy, everything you need. You've already been given. Paul's laying on of hands symbolically reminds that young pastor that you already are gifted by God. I, I'm telling you that now because I, I, I want to tell you this story. <clears throat> 30 years ago, I was ordained. And in, the, and in the ordination, I was allowed to plan the ordination service. So I gathered two ministers from that area who I knew, who were friends of mine, a couple other persons who were leaders in the denomination in which I was, which I was being ordained, and then a, a leader or two from the church that I was serving. And then we met together and I told them some of the general ideas I wanted to do in the ordination service, and then, and then we met a second time a, a week or two later, and I came in with my outline of the service. And they were, they were all the persons I was going to invite. Dick Wang, you remember Dick? Dick was serving in, in California then. Dick was going to be at the communion table. My father was going to give a prayer. My mother was going to sing a solo. My brother David was going to read scripture. My roommate from college, you, you can see how I put it all together like that. All these variety of persons. Leaders in the church involved, other ministers from other churches, that sort of thing. And the committee looked at the plan and said, this is very nice, but where's the laying on of hands? You heard it in the text. You know, one of the things that Paul did when Timothy became a pastor was he laid his hands on Timothy, bestowing those gifts. I said to the committee, you don't understand. I'm not into that hocus-pocus spooky stuff. I'm a rational person with an education and a degree. We're not going to do that. This is a new way of being a minister. And they said, uh, no. <laughs> I said, no, you don't understand. I said, no, you don't understand. This is a moment when you will be kneeling in front of all those leaders in the congregation and you'll do it, whether you like it or not. So we put it in there, and I changed my father from giving the pastoral prayer to being the one who would give, to give the ordination prayer at the kneeling on of, 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 of the pastor, at the laying on of hands. Well, then I put together the rest of the service, and I had to be really careful because in the service was going to be my grandfather seated on this side on the front row, and my father seated on this side in the front row, I had to be careful on how I lined up the processional of the participants and where I was gonna have them sit because my grandfather and father did not like each other. Hadn't spoken in years. My mother had just divorced my father. I was really, really careful to control everything that was happening in that processional. I had my dad in the front, I had my, on this side, I had my grandfather about two thirds of the way back on that side so they wouldn't be on the same side in, the, in all this and I really, I tried to control everything and make sure it would just go perfectly because it was about my, me that day and I wanted it all to go well and I didn't want a fist fight to break out up on the chancel. It came time for the, the laying out of hands. All the participants gathered on the chancel. I came over and I knelt down. My father came from that side. He put his, he put his left hand on my right shoulder. Out of nowhere, I don't know how he got there, because it wasn't in my script. My grandfather came, and he put his right hand on my left shoulder. And the two most influential people in my life stood behind me, shoulder to shoulder, and said together, you are a minister in the Church of Jesus Christ what I had tried to carefully control and construct, the Spirit of God said, excuse me, get out of the way. And let me remind you that my spirit is at work, not just in you, but in this church and in this community and in this world. And the sooner we can open, that I can open, that we can open together our hearts and minds and souls to that very spirit filling us, even when we have questions and doubts and worries and fears and angers and all the rest, when we can allow that spirit to fill us, we too, together, will be transformed and able to find the ability to live with less fear. Amen.